0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا ما يحده الله فلا مضل له وما يضلل فلا هادي له أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وَخِيْرَ الْهُدَى هُدَى مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَإِنَّ شَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْتَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْتَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ So in our previous lesson, uh, we began this small uh, treatise of al Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab on the meaning or the explanation of the kalima لا إله illallah. الله and in that lesson, we established that this kalima is the essence of Islam, and it is something which comprises four things which every Muslim ought to know and understand. It has a meaning, it has a ma'na, it has a muqtada, which means the requirements that follow on from from it. It has arkan, pillars, and it has shurut, which are conditions. And uh, we mentioned some of the names which have been given to this kalima, (coughs) alluded to in the Qur'an. It is kalimatul taqwa, the word of piety, kalimatul ikhlas, the word of sincerity. It is al-urwatul wuthqa, the firm handhold. It is that which distinguishes or separates al-fariqatu, beyn al-kufr wal-iman, between disbelief and iman. So all of this shows the greatness of uh, this this kalima or this expression or this utterance. Uh, we mentioned also that the intent behind this word is not merely just to express the statement without any knowledge of its meaning and without acting upon its requirements, because this is not acceptable to Allah Azzawajal. And we see that the, that the hypocrites they express this kalima, they say it with their tongues, but there is no truthfulness inside their hearts so mere utterance by itself without truthfulness without knowledge of its meaning without acting upon its requirements all of this would not really benefit a person and so we this is where we uh, ended up in the previous lesson pretty much and so we'll continue today inshallah ta'ala, and it follows on nicely from the point which I just established Sheikh Al Islam Muhammad ibn Abd al he says walakin al murad walakin al murad qawlaha ma' ma'rifatiha bil qalb wa muhabbatiha wa ahliha wa bughdhi man khalafahha wa mu'adatih so he says that the actual intent behind this expression of this word when you say la ilaha illallah what is the actual intent The actual intent is that you understand it with the heart. You know what it means with the heart. And you love this word or this statement, this kalima. You love what it means. You love it. You understand it with the heart. You know what it means. Then you love it. And likewise, you love its people. You love the people who like you have understood it and have expressed it and who love it. So you like them as well. You love them. And you hate the one who opposes it. And you show enmity to the one who opposes it. Now, of course, when we speak about opposing and hatred and enmity, all of this is within the context of justice because Islam commands justice with every single person. So just because... We hate something that they might believe, or that we hate something that they might profess, or we, you know, have a degree of hate towards them because of, you know, uh, things that they that they that they are upon. That does not mean that we behave with them with injustice because the Sharia has defined those relations. So anyone who does not show aggression, anyone who does not you know, expel us from homes or from land because of what we believe or profess, then we are ordered, we are not prohibited from dealing with them with justice and with benevolence and with kindness. So, and if you think about this, you know, it's a bit of a digression, but I think it's an important point to make, which is that if you look at Islam, it. The basic principle in dealing with others is justice, al-adal. So we do not not oppress any other person. We do not oppress a Jew. We do not oppress a Christian. We do not oppress people whom we live with in societies that, that we live in. But alongside that, we do not compromise on what we believe. And... In this respect, if you look at other, for example, you look at other nations who claim that they, you know, they have slogans, they claim liberty, they claim freedom, all these beautified slogans, but when you look at the way they behave, you know, with, with, with other people, they try to, uh, you know, they, they don't have, they don't have justice in, in their dealings. They try to impose their beliefs and their values and their, you know, And you can't enforce every person to hold the same belief as you. So, meaning that there will always be people of varying beliefs. So, I can hate that belief, I can despise it. I can despise a certain action that a person is doing. And you cannot force anyone to change that internal love or hate. For example, someone might say, you know, love homosexuality. I'll say, no, never. I hate it and I despise it. You can never ever change my conviction with respect to it. But does that mean now that I will behave unjustly and I will oppress such and such person and I will, you know, take from his right? Of course not, never. Because Islam does not command injustice. But you cannot force me to change my conviction and my, and my, and and my belief. So with Islam, the principle of behaving is with justice. Because you cannot force other people to hold, you, can, you can't force people to have the same values as you. So no matter how much these people try, whether it's in some of these European countries or whatever else they're trying to impose, you know that in your heart you're not going to accept it. Because you cannot force what a person is believing inside his heart. Because that's between him. That's, that's his you know secret, that's what he conceals. You can't force a person to hold those values. Outwardly they might agree if you force them under compulsion. But inwardly, the heart cannot be forced or compelled. So, so, so meaning here that what we, are, what we are speaking here is something that's very practical, it's realistic, and there's no pretense involved. Right? That this is what we hate. We hate shirk. We hate that others are worshipped alongside Allah. You will never force us to like that. But that does not mean that we are now going to behave with injustice towards you in our trade with you, we will be fair. We will not lie upon you. We will not cheat you. We will not take from your personal honor. This is for all people. This is even if it's a Muslim, a non-Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, a Mushrik, a pagan, a polytheist. We cannot, you know, take from the, the, the personal honor and lie upon these people and deceive them and cheat them. And, you know, because Islam commands with justice. Mans with justice. So, the point being here that when we when we are mentioning this point, that we understand the kalima, what it means, La ilaha illallah, and we love this kalima, and we hate what opposes it. We hate shirk. We hate that idols are worshipped besides Allah. We hate that Isa salam, is called upon and invoked and worshipped. We hate you know all of these things which, which constitute either the major shirk or the minor shirk and no one will ever 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 force us to change that and to make us make us love something that we hate which we know to be false from fitra from our innate instinctual feelings and from reason from common sense and from a revelation of course no we will never we will never change but our principle of behaving is justice, which means that the societies in which we live in, they have absolutely no, nothing to fear from a person who is a genuine true Muslim, a person of the Sunnah, who values the legislation and who abides by it. There, there is no reason for any nation, non-Muslim nation to be fearful of such people, because they are upright, honest, direct, you know, uh, uh, they are not people who are pretentious. They don't have any secret agendas or hidden goals. They are very open. This is what we believe. You might not like it, but we will behave with you with justice. Right? And this, everyone knows that this is a fair, you know, uh, uh position. So, this is what the Sheikh said. And so, therefore, what is intended then is. That when you say La Ilaha Illallah, you say it with the tongue, you believe what it means, you act upon what it requires, and you have loyalty and love towards those who also profess it and you know act upon it. And so this now comes to the the four issues that we mentioned, that we said the four issues were that we must understand its meaning. So what is the meaning of the kalima from what we've discussed so far from the previous lesson and today's lesson? The meaning is simply this. The meaning is that no one, no thing, no object has the right to be worshipped. Nothing deserves to be worshipped besides Allah alone. This is the meaning. Also the meaning is that nothing is worshipped in truth except Allah. Think about what has what just been said now. Nothing is worshipped in truth except Allah. This means that there are other things which are worshipped. Idols are worshipped, trees are worshipped, stars are worshipped, the sun is worshipped, the moon is worshipped, angels are worshipped, prophets even are worshipped, jinn are worshipped. But are they being worshipped in truth? No, they are being worshipped in falsehood. So every worship of everything besides Allah is upon falsehood. But for Allah Azawajal There is nothing that is worshipped in truth except Allah. This is from another angle. Same meaning but from a slightly different angle. So no one deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone. Why? Because he alone is the creator. He alone is the provider. He alone is the one who controls benefit and harm. He alone is the one who controls life and death. He alone is the one who guides and misguides. All his actions are unique to Allah. Allah. So therefore, there is no one who possesses these qualities, who shares with him, or who aids him or supports him in any of these qualities. He is unique. And so therefore, only he alone deserves to be worshipped. right? And at the same time, nothing is worshipped in truth except Allah. This means that the deities are very many. There are loads of deities, there are loads of things which are worshipped. They are all worshipped. But are they being worshipped in truth or in falsehood? They are being worshipped in falsehood. And so therefore the meaning of the kalima, like these two uh, you know, uh, explanations, this if you understand this, this then is the meaning of the kalima. So we have the ma'na. As for the muqtada, the muqtada this means what follows on from your expression. So if you have made the statement, there is none which has the right to be worshipped in truth except Allah, then it follows that it's demanded from you that every single act or type of worship, therefore you will direct it only to Allah Azza wa So when you make dua for aid or for a benefit or for repelling a harm, you make it only to Allah Azza wa When you bow, you bow only to Allah. When you prostrate, your prostration is only to Allah. When you sacrifice, you sacrifice only for the sake of Allah. And your reliance, your reliance, your heart is attached to Allah. All of the various forms and types of worship are directed only to Allah. So this is the the Muqtada. What is required? What does it necessitate this word now that you've said? It means that you now, in your actions, have to abide by what you've said. And likewise, when the example which I gave in the previous lesson, it's very similar to when a person might say that he might say that uh, "My wife, my wife deserves my love," or my children deserve my love." He makes this statement. when he's made this statement, what does, is this just a statement that he says? No, because this statement is such that it demands from him, if he says, my children deserve my love, my wife deserves my love, my parents deserve my love, what does this mean? It means now that there's a a a requirement binding upon him. And so therefore, in his speech, in his action, in his behavior, in his dealings, towards his wife, towards his children, towards his parents, there must be something which manifests itself from his speech, behavior, attitude, dealings, that express that love. Otherwise, he is, you know, uh, otherwise, this statement will not benefit him. If he went to every person professing, my wife deserves my love, my children deserve my love, my parents deserve my love, and he doesn't act upon it, and the people who see this person, as someone who is mad, he's deranged. So the muqtada, the requirement when a person makes this kalima is that he must make all of his worship only for Allah Azza wa And this requires that a person must know what then is ibadah? What then is worship? What then are the forms and types of worship which I must give only to Allah and which I am prohibited from giving to other than Allah? From the affairs of obedience, ta'a. From the, abed, uh, from the affairs of uh, du'a, making du'a to Allah. From istighatha, calling upon Allah in times of hardship and calamity. Isti'ana, seeking aid from Allah. Love, fear, hope, reliance. That a person must understand what are the major forms and types of worship and direct them only to Allah Azzawajal. So this now is the muqtada, muqtada, the requirements. And from the requirements is, as the shaykh has indicated, that you love this kalima, because it's the truth. It is the truth upon which the creation stands, upon which the creation was created, that Allah is worshipped alone. This is the truth. So he loves this truth. And likewise, he loves its people. It is a requirement from your expression of this kalima that you love the people of Islam, the people of the Kalimah, the people of Tawheed, that you have loyalty towards them and for them and you love them, you have affection towards them. This is from the requirements as well, from the Muqtada of you making this Kalimah. Likewise, as is indicated that you hate whatever opposes it. Why? Because it is bad. it is falsehood. Shirk is falsehood. It opposes reason, opposes common sense, opposes fitrah, opposes revelation. Because it is founded upon falsehood. To worship an idol, to invoke a saint who is dead, to worship a tree, to worship the sun. All of this is falsehood. It opposes reason, opposes revelation. And we, as people of truth and justice, we hate whatever opposes the truth, and whatever is falsehood, and whatever opposes reason, whatever is injustice. Right? So, this is also from the Muqtada of the kalima so then after this shaykh al islam he says مخلصا 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 so here now we have one hadith which has a number of different uh, narrations So he said The messenger of Allah Whoever said Whoever said La ilaha illallah But he didn't just stop there He then said Mukhlisan Meaning that he is sincere when he said it And in, in another narration Khalisan min qalbihi Sincerely from his heart And in, in another narration Sadiqan min qalbihi, which means truthfully from his heart so we see here then that all of these conditions are attached because this now removes the hypocrites from having genuine faith the hypocrite the munafiq who lives amongst the muslimin and you know he fears for his wealth he fears for his property he fears for his position in society so he just wants to blend in, and he conceals his disbelief, and he just says "La ilaha illallah." But it is not; he is not mukhlis, he is not sadiq It is not khaliṣan min qalbihi. All of this is not sincere and truthful and genuine. But it is just a veil he's put on the outside in order to protect his interests, worldly interests, you know, his wealth, his money, his honor, his status, his position. So he, he doesn't enter into Islam. So we see that in these ahadith, this condition is attached. Person has to be sadiq, mukhlis, khalis in, in what he's doing. So this condition is clearly attached. So this now removes the munafiqeen, the hypocrites from what is being discussed here. Likewise, in another hadith, man qala la ilaha illallah, that whoever said there is none worthy of worship besides Allah and then disbelieves in whatever is worshipped besides Allah. So, not only is it that you affirm that Allah alone should be worshipped, but you must disbelieve in every deity. There is worship besides Allah meaning that you reject that it has any right to be worshipped. You deny it as a deity, it is a false deity, you don't accept it as a deity, as one which is worshipped in truth. Rather, it is all worshipped in falsehood. So the point being here then, is that the kalima is something that must be said truthfully and with knowledge of its meaning. With knowledge of its meaning. And unfortunately, as we shall see very, so- very shortly, that the majority of people, many of the Muslims today, have become ignorant of this, of the meaning of this kalima. And they engage in actions which invalidate, which contradict what they are professing with their tongues. And so this brings us now to looking at the conditions of the kalima. What are the conditions then? Because now we've established the meaning. We understand the meaning. If if someone says to you, what is the meaning of the kalima? You say it means that no one has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And only Allah is worshipped in truth. And if someone said to you, well, what is the muqtada? What does this require from you? You say, well, it requires from me that I make all of the forms and types and categories of worship. I direct them only to Allah and never to anything else. This is what it demands from me. And it demands from me that I love this kalima, and I love the people who profess this kalima, and I show loyalty to them, and I hate what opposes it. All of this is from the Mukhtadah. And then if someone says to you, well, what are the conditions of this kalima? Well, the conditions of this kalima, as, as we see from some of the uh, tabi'een, such as Wahab bin Munabbih, where he said that every key, every key, has like you know the the uh, the teeth, the teeth in the key. You cannot open the lock without a key which has teeth. And likewise is the kalima, "La ilaha illallah." This kalima, "La ilaha illallah," it is the key to paradise. It is the key to paradise. But the key has with it teeth, which are the conditions, which are the conditions. And this is the likeness. To you know the the, the the of the key to paradise, the kalima which has been given by some of the scholars amongst the salaf. So from these conditions, we'll mention them um, very uh, briefly, and so from those conditions, there are seven in total, and the first one is obviously we've already discussed it. It is knowledge, which removes ignorance. So you must the first key or the first tooth on the key must be knowledge you cannot say la ilaha illallah and be ignorant of its meaning not possible as we as we as as we've discussed so the first thing is ilm it is knowledge and the, and the proof for that is the statement of Allah azza wa fa'lam fa'lam have knowledge have knowledge a command have knowledge fa'lam annahu la ilaha illallah Have knowledge that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. In Surah Muhammad, the 47th Surah, verse number 19. This is a command. Have the knowledge. Know therefore that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. So this means that we must have ilm. We cannot be ignorant. We cannot be upon jahl with respect to what we are professing. And the second condition so in other words, you have to know what you are saying. You have to know what you are professing. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. The second condition is al-yaqeen, that you must have certainty in what you are professing. And the proof of that is the statement of Allah al Mu'minun الْمُؤْمِنُونَ wa Thumma lam, yartabu. thumma lam Yartabu. Indeed, the believers are those who believe in Allah and His Messenger and thereafter do not have doubt. Lam Yartabu. They do not doubt. This is Surah Al-Hujurat, which is the 49th Surah, 49, verse number, verse number 15. So here we see that you must have certainty in what you are saying. If you are wavering, if you are, have hesitation, if you have doubts, if you have shukuk in your mind, and you're not sure whether, well, what am I saying? Am I convinced in what I'm saying or not? Then this, this means that you have doubt, you have shak. This would invalidate your Islam. Right? You cannot have doubt in that this kalima is the truth, that you are certain in the truthfulness of what you are saying, that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone. So this is the second condition which is um to have yaqeen and is also indicated in the sunnah in which the messenger of Allah sallallahu said ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anni rasulullah la yalqa Allah bihi ma 'abd ghayr shakin fehima illa dakhala aljannah i testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah and that I am the messenger of Allah. the messenger of Allah. He's saying this. No servant meets Allah with these two, meaning these two expressions, with ghirushakin, without being doubtful with respect to them, except that he will enter paradise in Sahih Muslim. So this is yaqeen, which negates doubt. So we have knowledge, which negates ignorance. And we have yaqeen, which negates uh, doubt. The third condition is the third condition is al qabool al which is acceptance. You must accept this kalima. Now think about it. A person might say la ilaha illallah, and he knows what it means. Likewise a person might be convinced that it is the truth. But does that mean that he has now accepted it? No, because there are many amongst the disbelievers, both in the time of the Messenger of Allah and you know today and in the time in between, who know what La ilaha they know what it means, they understand what it means. They also have conviction that it is indeed the truth like many of the yahud and many you know they know that this 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 is the truth but does that mean that they have now accepted they've made kabul this kabul is something different it's something additional it means that you that you um that your heart acknowledges this statement and that it has requirements from you, that you, you know, that you that you accept it, and you are not arrogant towards it, right? So this is something additional and on top of just simply having knowledge of its meaning and being certain that it is true, that it is true, having certainty. Those two would not actually enter you into into Islam, right? There has to be قبول, there has to be acceptance, and this opposes رفض, which is rejection. And so, the evidence is for this, إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا إِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ Indeed, when it would be said to them, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ, they would show arrogance. Meaning they wouldn't accept it. Even though they knew its meaning, even, even though they were certain of its truth, they wouldn't accept it. Why? Because they had other motives and reasons not to do so it was arrogance, it was pride, it was because they didn't want to lose their standing in society, it is because they didn't want to give charity, it is because they didn't want to put, as Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah says, that many people rejected Islam because of pride, because they didn't want their posterior, meaning their backside, to be higher than their head. Meaning that they have to make prostration on the ground, and their head will therefore be lower than their backside. And they were arrogant that this should be the case. And so they rejected Islam on that basis because they were arrogant, right? So, so Babul acceptance of this kalima is something additional to merely having knowledge of its meaning and being certain that it is true. So this is the third condition. And then also we have the fourth condition which is al-inqiyad al-inqiyad inqiyad means compliance compliance it is something actually that follows on from the previous one if you make al qabool if you now accept that this is true and it's, it it requires something from you it, it you know it demands something from you then obviously compliance necessarily follows Al-Inqiyad is compliance, that you now comply with what this kalima requires from you. And so, um, Al-Inqiyad then therefore means that you follow it in terms of your actions, whereas Al-Qabool is something that you just say outwardly with your with your speech. So you say, yes, I know the meaning of this kalima, yes, I have certainty in it, and yes, I accept that I am I'm, I'm bound to act in, uh, uh, upon it. This is Qabool. An inqiyad now is when you actually start acting upon it with your, you know, with your actions. And, you know, uh, and, and so both of them come together, al-qabool and al-inqiyad, they both of them come together. And so from the evidences of this condition, the fourth condition, al-inqiyad, is, وَمَنْ يُسْلِمْ وَجْهَهُ إِلَى الله وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ فَقَدِ استَمْسَكَ بِالْعُرْوَةِ الوثقى. Whoever submits his face to Allah, if you submit your face to Allah, you obviously made acceptance, you've made qabool. وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ And he does righteousness. Now this is action. This is now is inkiyad. Now he's complied and started to act upon the requirements of this kalima. And then indeed, he has held on to the firmest handhold. This is Surah Al-Luqman, Surah 31, verse number 22. And also the statement, um, some scholars say the hadith is da'if, some say it's authentic. حوا, None of you truly believes up until his desire is in accordance with what I have come with. But the meaning is, 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 is you know, uh, can be found in other texts in any case. The fifth condition is As-sidq Which is truthfulness, which negates al Kadib. Which negates al Kadib. Now this condition is something that removes hypocrisy from a person. Hypocrisy. In the sense that when you are saying this kalima, you are genuinely saying it truthfully and honestly and sincerely and purely. And it is not out of you know some other you know you, you're not telling a lie when you when you are when you are basically expressing this kalima. And so the evidence is for for this statement is the statement at the very beginning of Surat al Munafiqoon. إذا جاء أكل منافقون قالوا نشهد إنك لرسول الله والله يعلم إنك لرسوله والله يشهد إن المنافقين لكاذبون which means that when the hypocrites come to you, they say, we testify that you are the messenger of Allah. And Allah knows that you indeed are the messenger of Allah. But Allah testifies that indeed the hypocrites are liars. Meaning that they would come to the messenger of Allah and say to him, we believe that you are the messenger of Allah. But inwardly they were telling lies. So Allah He says, Allah knows that you are the messenger of Allah. But indeed the hypocrites they are they are liars. So here obviously we know that Siddha truthfulness, is a condition of the kalima. This is condition number five. Condition number six is Al ikhlas, which is sincerity, which means that you when you worship Allah, you are not showing off. You are not doing deeds. For the sake of the people that they praise you, that they extol you, that they say about you, what a pious person, what a righteous person, what a generous person who gives plenty of charity, what a, what a, what a skilled reciter of the Quran, what this, what that. You're not doing any actions in order to please the people. Because this now, it clashes with sincerity to Allah. And so from the evidences of this is, uh, from the evidences of this is the statement of Allah جل, uh, ومن الناس ومن الناسي, uh, from the evidences of this ala dinul khalis ala lillahi dinul khalis is not the pure sincere religion due to Allah surah zumar surah 39 verse number 3 وما أمروا إلا they were not commanded except to worship Allah, mukhliseen being pure and sincere to Him in the religion and being upright. Surah Al Bayyina, Surah ninety-eight, verse number four. And indeed, the statement of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه Allah man qala la <laughs> ilaha illa Allah Indeed, Allah has prohibited. The hellfire upon the one who said, La ilaha illallah, seeking nothing but the face of Allah by way of that, meaning that He is sincere. So this is the sixth condition, and the seventh condition is Alhub Al hubb Al Munafi Lil which is Al which is love. Which is that a person he loves whatever Allah loves and he hates whatever Allah hates and he loves this kalima he loves to act upon this kalima and he loves the people who like him they act upon this kalima this hub this muhabba is a condition of this uh, you know th- this kalima it is the seventh condition and the evidence for this is the statement of Allah wa minan nas man min andada <laughs> Amongst mankind you will find a people who take others as deities besides Allah, as rivals with Allah. They love them with a love that is due only to Allah. They love them as they should love Allah. But those who believe are more intense in their love for Allah. Indicating here that love in the heart is something that is directed only for Allah. And likewise, Ya amanu, minkum an yati Allahu yuhibbuhum wa O you who believe, if you turn back on your religion, then soon will Allah bring a people whom He loves and they will love Him. So love of Allah, love of the kalima, love of tawheed. Love of acting upon it and implementing it. Love of its people. All of this is from the conditions, from the kalima, La ilaha illallah. And also of course, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ يُحْبِبُكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Say, if you truly do love Allah, then follow me. Allah will love you and forgive you your sins. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. So, ittiba, following the Messenger of Allah, is a condition of loving Allah Azzawajal. So, these are some of the texts which establish the conditions of La Ilaha Illallah. They are seven in number. So now we have knowledge of the meaning, the ma'na, We have knowledge; we know what muqtada, what it means, the requirements, and we have knowledge of the shurut or the conditions. And he then continues, al Islam, and he says, um, so these ahadith that we mentioned, they will indicate to you that many or most of the people are actually ignorant of the meaning of this testification. Most people today are ignorant of what this means. Now, Now that you've understood this meaning, you will find that amongst the people, a large number of people, when you say to them, what is the meaning of the kalima?", They will say to you, there is no creator besides Allah. La <coughs> خالق إلا الله لا مدبر إلا الله. There is no one who regulates the universe except Allah. La رازق إلا الله. There is no one who provides except Allah. Is this meaning correct? Is this meaning correct that that you say, I do not believe in a creator besides Allah. Is this the Tawheed that the messengers came with? Is this the Tawheed that the messengers came with? Yes or no? No. If someone says, I believe that only Allah provides for me, is this the Tawheed that the messengers came with? To believe only Allah is the provider? Is this correct? No, it is not correct. But amazingly and surprisingly, you find that this is what you find in the books of the Ash'aris and the Maturidis, and likewise the Tablighis in their books. This is what they explain to be the meaning of the Kalima. And this is incorrect. And it is for that reason that you find amongst the same people, you will find them that amongst them you'll find factions amongst them, they fall into that which is shirk. Why? Because they wrongly believe that the Tawheed, which the messengers came to call to, is simply for the, be, for the people to believe there is only one creator, there is only one provider, there is only one who you know gives life and takes life. This is Allah, He's the creator. I affirm no other creator besides Him. And they say that as long as a person maintains this belief, then whatever actions he does, it will not take him outside the fold of Islam. Even if he calls upon a dead person, even if he sacrifices an animal to a tomb or a grave, as long as he believes there is only one creator, only one provider. Is this correct, ya ikhwan? Is this correct? Is this Tawheed? Yes or no? No, it is not. it is not. And the evidences for this are very clear in the Qur'an. Allah He says, سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ لَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ If you were to ask them, the pagans, who created the heavens and the earth, they will soon say, they will say, it is Allah. So meaning, that the pagans to whom the messenger was sent, they accepted and believed that only Allah is the one who created the heavens and the earth? Likewise, we see in the Quran, "Wala in sa'altahum, man khalaqahum, la If you were to ask them, who created them? Who created you? They will say, "It is Allah." So now they believe that Allah created the heavens and the earth, and they believe that Allah, He created them as well. Likewise, we see in the Quran. Say who to who belongs the earth, who is the owner of the earth, and whatever and whoever is within it. They will if if indeed you know, they will say Allah. They will soon say Allah. Then the verse continues. Say who is the Lord. Of the seven heavens and the Lord of the throne, the mighty throne, they will soon say Allah. Ulmbi Yadihi Malakutu Yujir la Yujaru in Kuntum Talamun Say In whose hand is the dominion of everything and the one who gives protection but no one protects him, they will soon say Allah. Qul fa anna Say then, why? How? How are you deluded? With the meaning that if you affirm all of these things, only Allah creates. Allah owns everything. You know, Allah gives protection. Allah created you. Allah created the heavens. How then are you deluded in worshiping others besides Allah, in calling upon others besides Allah? This is the argument of the Quran, that if you affirm that only He is the Provider. Creator, sustainer, regulator, brings benefit, brings harm, gives life, takes life. How then, with what reason are you then invoking other deities besides Allah? So this is a proof in the Quran, which is very apparent in the Quran. In fact, there are even more ayats which are like this. مَن مِّنَ Say, who provides for you from the heaven and the earth? Who is the one who controls or who, you know, the, the faculties of hearing and of, of seeing? وَمَنْ يُخْرِجُ الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْمَيِّتِ وَيُخْرِجُ الْمَيِّتَ مِنَ الْحَيِّ And who takes the living out of the dead and the dead out of the living? وَمَنْ يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرِ And who regulates the affair? فَسَيَقُولُونَ اللَّهِ They will soon say, it is Allah. So all of these things, they never denied these things. What was the point of dispute? the point of dispute was, after agreement on all these things, why then are you worshipping others besides Allah? Why then are you calling upon Isa salam? Why then are you calling upon the righteous dead people? Why then are you worshipping the jinn, calling upon the jinn? Why then are you invoking the idols? Why are you directing acts of worship to other than Allah when you know only Allah is the one who provides and who helps and so on and so forth? So to say that the meaning of Tawheed is simply to believe in a creator is false. This is not Tawheed. This is not Tawheed because there is no one on this earth, except for some very small people, arrogant people, who have ever denied that there is a creator. No one has ever denied this. And even those who denied it, like Fir'aun, They denied it out of arrogance whilst inwardly they knew and they were convinced that there is only one deity, that there's only one creator and it is Allah. Inwardly they were convinced. So really, no one really denies this. So this was not what the point of dispute was between the messengers and the people to whom they were sent. However, unfortunately, despite this and despite the fact that this is so clear in the Qur'an, you see that the Muslims today have forgotten this. And again, there are reasons behind this, there are historical reasons behind this. And we don't have the time uh, to go through all of those reasons and those details. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to summarize it as briefly as possible why this happened. The reason was that there were some amongst the Muslims, they began to de- debate with the non-Muslims and try to convince them about Allah's existence. Right? So they tried to debate with atheists. And they tried to convince them that Allah exists. And they opposed the method of the Qur'an. They didn't stick to the method of the Qur'an in arguing for Allah's existence and Allah's Rububiyah. They instead used innovated methods which were weak and which were flawed. And then they wrongly believed that to prove Allah's existence is what Islam itself depends upon. And this is wrong. This is wrong. Because Allah's existence is already in the fitra of every single human. Every single human, every single atheist even, when he just, without even reflecting, in his heart, in his mind, these thoughts will appear. This, this cannot have come from nothing. It's, it's so tremendous, amazing. And atheists have these feelings. They're just not willing to admit them. So, so this is what we call the fitrah. In every single human, this fitra it exists. And so you do not need to have any proof, because the, 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 the Allah has already created mankind to have this innate instinctive feeling and this belief. It is already there. So to therefore to claim that Islam depends upon the proof for Allah's existence by rational means, this is incorrect, it's not true. But then because they made this to be a foundation of the religion then they began to focus only upon this thing, upon proving Allah's existence, that there is a creator and a provider. And then they neglected over time the actual Tawheed, the actual message of the messengers in the Qur'an, which is, none has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone. So when they began to focus on this thing over centuries and centuries, and write books and enter into debates and arguments, and wrongly believe that this is the foundation of Islam, Right, they focused only on rububiyyah. Meaning Allah's lordship that he is the creator, provider, sustainer. Which nobody denies anyway. So basically, as they focused the entire religion upon this assumption or this premise that Islam depends upon proving Allah's existence, and they wallowed and wrangled in this for centuries and centuries and centuries, then all of their speech became focused around this issue and they wrongly believed that this is the Tawheed that the messengers came to establish. And they neglected... What is apparent and clear in the Qur'an, which is the tawheed that the messengers came to call to, which is that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And for that reason, because of this weakness and this emphasis on Urbubiya, when shirk then began to enter the ummah from the direction of the rafida Shia, it then entered amongst the Sufis, and then eventually they began to worship other than Allah call upon saints, call upon the righteous, call upon whatever else, because they're wrong wrong belief that basically as long as you believe there's only one creator and only he benefits, only he harms, it doesn't matter if you call upon a wali and invoke him and ask him for help because you're not affirming him as a creator, you are affirming only Allah as the creator. But this opposes the entire argument of the Qur'an, it clashes with the Qur'an, the whole Qur'an came to invalidate this this very thing. And so you can see that over time, this is how shirk crept into the ummah, and so uh, from that we should understand that this now leads us to the pillars of the kalima. What are the arkan? We've looked at the meaning, the ma'na, we've looked at the muqtada, we looked at the shirut, the, the, the conditions. Now we come to the pillars. With Without these pillars, then a person hasn't truly established the kalima. The pillars of the kalima. فَأْلَمْ أَنَّ هَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ نَفْيٌ وَإِثْبَاتٌ Know that this kalima consists of a negation and an affirmation. And these are the two pillars. These two pillars are the pillars of the kalima. That there is a negation involved, and there is an affirmation involved. That you are negating something, and you are affirming something. So, first of all, you are negating that anything besides Allah has the right to be worshipped. This is what you are negating. When you say, La ilaha, you are negating that there is anything besides Allah until even the prophets and messengers, even Muhammad wasallam, he does not have the right to be worshipped. Nor the angels, not even Jibreel. The best amongst the angels is Jibreel. He does not have the right to be worshipped. The best amongst the men is Muhammad wasallam. He does not have the right to be worshipped. And let alone those who are less than them, from the righteous, and you know, they do not have any right to be worshipped. So we negate this right from everything and anyone besides Allah azza wa and then we affirm it, we make affirmation, Ithbat. this is now the second pillar. We affirm it only for Allah Azza wa Jal. We affirm it only for Allah Azza wa Jal. This now is affirmation. Now these two pillars, what is the evidence for this in the Qur'an? The evidence for this in the Qur'an is immediately after Ayatul Kursi. Ayatul Kursi is the greatest verse in the Qur'an. And it mentions many great uh, names and attributes and qualities of Allah جل, which is why it is the, the the greatest ayah in the Qur'an. Immediately after this ayah, uh, there the, the, the appears in the ayah immediately afterwards, wa وَيُؤْمِن بِاللَّهِ Here we have the two pillars of the kalima. Whoever disbelieves and rejects the taghut the taghut is anything which is worshipped in falsehood besides Allah anything where you transgress the limits and you you know worship that thing so whoever disbelieves in all false deities wa yu'min billah and who believes in Allah meaning who believes that only Allah has the right to be worshipped then he has held on to the firm handhold and so these are the two pillars of the kalima in the Qur'an. This is one proof, there are other proofs as well. So this now completes the four things that we mentioned that a person must understand. You know, with respect to the kalimah, the meaning of the kalimah. Therefore, then thereafter the muqtada, what it requires from him. And then the conditions of the kalimah, without which it will not open the key to paradise. And then the conditions, what are the two the the, the, the pillars, sorry, the two foundational pillars of this kalima, It is negation and it is affirmation. So the Shaykh here, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, he comments and he says that if we had a person who is the most righteous of the people of the earth, and of course this is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa or we had the most the most excellent of the angels, who is Jibreel alayhi salam, then it is not permissible to worship them Besides Allah Because though we respect them, we respect the messengers, we venerate them, we give them the status and the position that they deserve, which Allah has given them, this in no way means that we now give them the right which belongs only to Allah. Our love for them, our veneration of them, does not mean that we have to give them a right which belongs only to Allah. Right? This is incorrect. And anyone who does so, who associates anyone with Allah in worship, then of course we see in the Qur'an, you know, we see in the Quran that this is, is prohibited and a person is you know has is is is, is, is given the hellfire on account of of this crime, which is the crime of, of shirk. So we can end here inshallah. Um Ida Fahimta ذلك فتامل الالوهيه التي اثبتها اثبتها الله تعالى لنفسه ونفاها عن محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وجبريل وغيرهما ان يكون لهم منها مثقال حبه من خردل so when you has then understood this then think about this what is this uluhia what is this right to worship which allah affirmed for himself and he negated from muhammad sallam and jibril and others he negated that they should have even a seed's worth of this uluhi, uluhi, uluhi belonging to them. Think about this. What is it? Reflect about it. And so this is what he says, inshallah ta'ala. we'll end uh, at this point here and we'll continue in the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala, an important lesson because we will be looking at numerous false meanings of the kalima. Now we've understood what it means, the kalimah, what the messengers came with. They came and they explained, none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. But there are numerous other false meanings of the kalamah, maybe four or five or six of them, that you see upon the tongues of the people. But they are false meanings. And we need to understand how and why they are false. And so inshallah, that will be look, we will look at in the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. Wa billahi walhamdulillahi wa sallallahu ala Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi Yeah. Person with correct corrupt um, story, befriend befriend a person with the interest story simply because he might corrupt his his story, and eventually lead we must try. I'm not sure if you're speaking about someone who is a non-Muslim or someone who is a Muslim. A Muslim. Yeah. Well, in general, a Muslim, you know, he. He his loyalty and his friendship is, is for the people of the Sunnah, for the people of Tawheed and people of the Sunnah. And in order to protect his faith, protect his Iman, if he fears that mixing with people who have doubts, who have misconceptions, and he doesn't have the knowledge and the understanding to repel those misconceptions, then obviously he doesn't mix with people like that and befriend them, you know, uh, but if if you are a person who understands Tawheed, you know the evidences, you know the doubts that people have with respect to, you know, what they fall into, then obviously you are you are, you are encouraged to invite people to Tawheed, you are encouraged to uh, remove their ignorance from them, you are encouraged to call them to that which will save them from the hellfire and to remove the misconceptions, of course. So all depends upon, you know, like an alim, like a scholar, for example... Upon him is to go and spread this ilm, spread this knowledge. That's why you see many of the scholars, uh, many of the scholars, they used to travel to the lands of Africa, go to the tribes, go to the villages, tell them what Tawheed was. And before that, they would be blindly following the, the Sheikh of their tariqah or whoever else. Right? And they would think that what they were practicing was Islam, calling upon the dead, going to the tombs. But these people, obviously, their fitrah is still with them. So when these scholars would go to them and extend them, look, this, this is what tawhid is. Do not worship or call upon anything besides Allah, because they are just creatures of Allah. They don't have any control over life or death or benefit or harm. It is false to worship them. And straight away, the fitra of the people immediately recognizes that this indeed that this is correct, it makes sense. And they would abandon what the what the what the, what they were upon, so obviously this now comes to you know if you're an alim, if you're a student of knowledge and you understand these affairs and you can call the people and you can remove the misconceptions and you are grounded, then it is upon you to go and call the people and not to isolate yourself and you know because then you are supposed to spread the truth and and bring guidance to the people but if you're someone who you know you you know you you don't you're not you're not like that, and then these people have shubhat to bring. You know, apparent evidences They bring, you know, they have books And they have misconceptions and doubts And you don't have the grounding Obviously it's better for you not, not to mix And not to, you know, uh, behave with them on, on, in, in that level It's best to protect yourself And uh, you know, keep away from that, inshallah ta'ala Barakulah.